Welcome to another episode of Teaching Moments. My name is Kirk Faulkner. I'm Craig Faulkner. And we're really happy to have you here today. We uh, get together uh, on each of these episodes and uh, we take turns teaching each other something interesting. Yes. And today I'm going to teach about how to fund a new idea Great. or how to fund an existing idea or business that you're involved in. So like how to get funding from it from somebody else or right. fund yeah. it in general. How to get money from someone else. I mean, typically when mm-hmm. someone has a business idea, a lot of times entrepreneurs don't have the money to fund the idea themselves or when a small business is starting to realize some success, it's not generating enough income because most business owners have to reinvest in the business and their profitability isn't such that they have got excess cash to really grow the business. And And that could be from hiring new team members or expanding the product offering, buying new technology, moving into a larger space, et cetera. And so the challenge often is, what the heck do you do to come up with more money to grow your idea? So this could be something that applies to a person who has just uh, somebody sitting on the couch who has an idea right now, they want to start a business, or somebody who's in a business and wants to take the business to the next level. It sounds like something that you kind of got to revisit over and over again. You do. And I think that quite honestly, the person that's sitting on the couch that just has an idea is going to obviously have a much harder time funding that idea unless it is just truly a brilliant idea. But regardless of whether or not you're sitting on the couch with an idea, you have a business and you're achieving some success, or you have a business that is really growing, you can follow a lot of the same steps that I'm going to talk about. And specifically, what we'll do in this podcast is we'll talk about how to actually structure a pitch deck to sit down and talk to someone what should be included in that pitch deck. Before we get into the pitch deck, though, I'll talk about the different sources of money because there's different sources of money, right? There are typically, in terms of the broad categories of individuals to reach out to, number one, there's friends and family. Okay, that's the closest in, that's the easiest money to reach out to. What kind of business is like right for friends and family funding? Like if I'm going to go open, let's say a restaurant, or maybe I have an idea for a home delivery service or something, where does the friends and family kind of start and end? Well, I think the friends and family, obviously, you've got to be very- Depends on the friends and the family. Yeah, it depends (laughs) on on the friends and family. Depends on whether or not you want to have those friends on an ongoing basis. (laughs) And how How long, how well you really value your family relationships. I do think that there are appropriate times to reach out to friends and family. I think the times to reach out to that close group is when you have a clear path to pay back those friends and family members. Pretty sure thing. That's right. I think when you go beyond that, the different types of investment groups that will consider investing you understand that there is a level of risk involved where they may never get their money back. Friends and family, in my experience, not I haven't personally ever funded any operations from friends and family, but I have seen individuals that have. And typically, when it doesn't work out, there are hard feelings. Yeah could be a real bummer. So I do think that the friends and family can be appropriate, but it's got to be used cautiously. Okay. 
The second source obviously is a bank. The funny thing about a bank is a bank is not real keen to fund startups. They're not really keen to fund businesses that are not making money. And they're not real keen to fund businesses that don't have an established track record. So that puts you into somewhat of an awkward position. You already have to be successful to get them to give you money. Yeah, right. And there's a little bit of a feeling that, you know, when the bank will finally lend me money, why the heck would I want to borrow money from them? Because I have other sources. The reality is this. The second least expensive type of money to borrow, though, is from a bank. Friends and family typically will not take an equity position in your business or with your idea. A bank typically does not take a position in an equity position in your business. But the other types of funding options will take uh, an equity position in your business. So when you're looking at these different types of funding options, I'm noticing a few things pop up. These are going to have different levels in each one. There's kind of like the equity position, which probably interest is something you're looking at, Mm -hmm. right? And then kind of the emotional aspect, I guess, is like the third level of like, High on the family end, low on the bank end, but it's kind of a give and take in all the different right. areas. And, and I like that. I think that's a good observation. I'd kind of flip it around, emotional, and then the interest that you pay, and then the equity mm-hmm. that you may give up. Any other considerations I'm not thinking of? Uh, I think you always have to consider, this goes beyond those three things, but I mean, this may sound so obvious that I don't need to mention it, but you've got to consider if you're borrowing from friends, family, and the bank, you know, how are you going to pay that back? Now, typically a bank will want to see a repayment program. I mean, not typically, they always will. (laughs) Yeah. Whether it's a line of credit, the line of credits, for example, would need to be paid back every 12 months. On an annual basis, they want to see those payments, that line down to zero. There are other types of programs with the banks where you can borrow money for growth and pay it back over an extended period of time, a term loan. Most small businesses, though, will work off some sort of equity line or credit line to fund inventory. It's hard to fund the growth in your personnel, you know, spending more money for relocating, et cetera, with those types of loans. So we got family and we got bank. Where else can I go? The third area then, again, for startups and for businesses that have just a short track record would be angel investors. There are typically groups in any given metropolitan area, groups of individuals. There can be organizations, there can be clubs, there can be individuals. There are organizations called family offices where there are high net worth individuals who actually have individual staff members that are continually looking for investment opportunities. All of these types of groups, angel investors or family offices or private investors are continually looking for bright, outstanding ideas. They're looking for bright, outstanding people to champion those ideas. And they're looking for ways to deploy their money. So the angel investors will, I'm going to say always, because there may be some rare exceptions, but they will look for an equity position. 
typically in the venture. What's the range of equity that you got to give up to an angel well, investor? Well, that is very, very dependent upon the amount of money, the, the business valuation, et cetera. And in fact, we should make a note to talk about business valuations. I don't want to get into that today because that's a rabbit hole that we could go down and spend a lot of time on. But you'll end up typically with an angel investor probably looking at anywhere between five and 20 or 30 percent of your company, perhaps. But all of that is dependent upon the valuation that you can put forward. What I'm thinking is, when should I be wary? Like if I was sitting down with an angel investor and they were like, I want 50% of your company or I want 70%. I mean, like what's too much to give away? And I I know it's all dependent on how much they're giving you and and all of that, but maybe where's the point where you would stop thinking that uh, somebody giving you enough money to get it going was worth it if they asked for this much equity? Well, you know, that's a real good question. And there's really no real strict guidelines on that. You know, if you have an idea to start a marketing agency, for example, and you are going to, that marketing agency has plans to introduce some sort of app that is going to help other small business owners market their services. If that idea is grand enough where you can see a way to have a multi-million dollar organization within a three to five year period of time and growing it to a 10 or $20 million organization over a period of time, throwing a lot of money down to the bottom line, and it really is a sound idea, then you may be able to sell an angel investor on helping you fund that, at least the first round of funding, and taking a smaller percent, you know, a five or 10% position. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, if you're opening up a restaurant and it's going to be hard to really leverage that business, you don't plan to open up other restaurants or you don't plan to franchise or you don't plan to have a chain, and that investor is going to put up, in essence, all the money to fund the operation, they may ask for 40 or 50% of that business. Now, this may seem obvious to you, but I'm just clarifying. But if they ask for, let's say, 51% of the business, they're then the majority owner, and they are then capable of kind of trumping you. It's a hard word to use these days, but but their decisions take precedence over yours. They win in a draw. Yeah, that's right. And starting out early in funding an idea, you would obviously never want to give up controlling interest. And there are many times are different rounds of funding. I mean, there's friends and family. You could have a friends and family round of funding. You could have an angel investor round of funding. You could then go to a venture capital group and have that round of funding. Then you could go to a private equity group and have a round of funding. And so And so let me just talk a little bit about a venture capital group. They're kind of the next rung above an angel investor group. There are a lot of different types of venture capital groups. The venture capital groups you hear about in New York and San Francisco are typically looking at investments where they put in a dollar and get back a thousand dollars. Okay. They're looking for big wins. And they're looking for grand, grand notions and grand ideas. Now there are some venture capital groups that will invest in smaller ideas, but venture capital groups typically are going to be looking for a higher payout, higher risk propositions, and they will take larger stakes 
because of that higher risk, they'll take larger stake in your business idea. What I have the most experience with is working with private equity groups. There are a lot of different types of private equity groups. Private equity groups will look to either invest in your organization. They're typically looking at organizations that have a track record, that are throwing money down to the bottom line, that are on their way to profitability, and they are looking at taking sizable positions, 20, 30, 40%, or controlling interest, or actually buying the business, having management stay on, and help continue to grow the business. So most private equity groups, you know, will fall in the category of small, medium, large, and XL. Small, they would invest in companies that will be anywhere from probably 3 million to 25 million. Large or medium-sized private equity group are looking for companies that are, I'm talking about top line, are generating anywhere from 10 to 50 million, maybe 100 million. And then your large-sized private equity groups are companies that are in the 50 million top line category up to, you know, probably 250 million plus or minus. What differentiates a private equity from a venture capitalist? Well, it's typically the level of risk and the upside that they're looking for. That doesn't seem like a big enough difference to have two different names. Well, it is a big difference. A private equity group typically has a much more conservative base of investors, whether they be private investors or they be banks, money managers, the private equity groups, their funding comes from more conservative money. Venture capital groups, their funding comes from individuals, companies, family offices that are willing to take much higher risk. Just jump into a conclusion here, but it sounds like a venture capitalist is going to give you a little bit more leeway to kind of run your business the way you want. An equity group is going to come in and be a little bit more micromanaging, or am I just making that up? It just all depends. It depends on the personality of each one of those organizations. No one except friends and family is going to just give you complete leeway to run your company once you take their money. And that's another thing that you have to understand about taking, whether it's an angel investor. Angel investors many times will have you know more of a hands-off policy, but when you start to take money, when the group's funding is coming from institutions or private banking organizations, et cetera, venture capitalists and private equity groups are going to hold the senior management of the business responsible for their performance. And they're not afraid to move in. Typically, most venture capital groups and private equity groups have the ability to move their own management team in Mm -hmm. if you're not performing. And both venture capitalists and private equity, I imagine they keep what you would refer to as a portfolio of investments going. Is there a difference in the way that they manage that portfolio or is that just kind of an individual is private equity a little bit closer to like a hedge fund or something where they are kind of spreading their risk out more amongst things or? No, actually a private equity group, as well as a venture capital group, they'll specialize in specific areas. Some will specialize in technology, some will specialize in manufacturing. It just Mm -hmm. goes down the list. But as I was saying, they all have a very high expectation for performance. And historically, venture capital groups will take higher risk. I mean, venture capital groups are, you know, groups that funded startups like Instagram and Facebook. Now, as these companies get momentum, other investment groups like private equity groups will come involved. 
Mm-hmm. So that's just a quick overview. It's certainly not meant to be, you know, all encompassing. Just understand the basic groups are friends and family, angel investors, then you've got your venture capital and you have your private equity. I think for most of the people listening, it's going to be friends and family, angel investors, family offices, and then private equity groups, from my opinion. Now, if you've got that grand notion where you've got that half a billion dollar, billion dollar idea, then you think carefully about a venture capital group. Okay, so regardless of any of those groups, you need to wrap your head around how you're going to present your idea. I think that many times when someone has an idea, two things happen, either they underprepare or they overprepare. Right, yeah. (laughs) The key in presenting your idea is just like seasoning, you know, getting the right amount of seasoning Uh on the presentation. Every presentation, as I've taught over the years, has an introduction, it has a body, and then has a conclusion. And that's what we'll talk about here. We're making a pitch deck. We're making a pitch deck. We're going to be talking about a pitch deck. And I like, and I think most of these groups that I've talked about, I would say all of them really, except maybe friends and family, are accustomed to having a PowerPoint presentation that you forward to them in advance where they can review it. Typically, when you're presenting, you typically present off your laptop or they project it in a conference room, and you also have hard copies so they can follow along. And the presentation, it can have a fair amount of copy on it. This presentation should be designed, it should be professionally prepared, but it doesn't have to be an award-winning design. It just needs to be smart and thoughtful. And frankly, I think there are plenty of templates in PowerPoint and Google Slides that look very, very presentable when you're pulling this together. One of the things the listener might not know is that you and I have worked together a lot in making slide decks for presentations, but Mm -hmm. for kind of a different presentation. Ours is like a public facing presentation. It's all about, you know, presenting kind of a bigger idea. Um, One of the things that you and I found as we went on and kind of developed our style is we got less and less words on a slide. That's correct. Right. So I have an inkling that while that probably is still something you should take into account, these pitch meetings are maybe a situation in which having more words or like having more information on the site, you need to be focused on the fact that you need to give them the sense that you've got all the details worked out, or is it still good to like really come down hard on the showmanship part of it and then just have all that information in your head or... No, this really is quite a different presentation where we'd like using pictorial themes and bold graphics and bold charts. This is different. You'll have more text. You'll have more intense graphics and charts. Certainly pictorial themes can be appropriate, but you definitely want to convey a lot of information. What I'd like to do is just quickly run through a deck, an idea of a deck, and I'm going to suggest that your deck will be probably, you know, as short as 15 slides, as many as 20 slides. If you're going past 30 slides, you've got way too much information. Really? I would have thought that this would be one of those situations where you could have like a really long... No. How long is this going to go? You should be able to go through this presentation and answer all the questions within a 60-minute period of time. Okay, you got an hour. Okay, so you've got an hour, whether it's friends or family, trust me, your friends and family aren't going to want to spend more than an hour, and a private equity group or an angel investor, if you can't get through your deck, if you can't convey the idea, if you can't get someone really amped up and excited about what you're doing in 60 minutes, you're going to have a problem. 
The first thing that you want to do, obviously, your first slide is going to be your title slide. Uh, it should be your company logo. The second slide, number two, ought to be really your mission statement. We've talked a lot about defining your why. Why do you exist? Start with why. You start with why. At FMG, Faulkner Media Group, we said our why was we love marketing, so you don't have to. And that's why we created a digital marketing platform that uses technology and content to help financial advisors market their business. Yeah. You know and, they changed it? Well, they shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I like the old one. Yeah. Well, that's called progress. Progress. So I think that really having that mission statement out in front of you and being able to really articulate that in the second slide is super important. The third and fourth slides would really give you the ability to talk about your executive team and then your management team. So you've introduced your company logo, you've introduced your why or in your mission statement. Now you're going to talk about the great team you have. You ought to have photographs of your team members. You ought to have a brief description of their title and what they do. Okay. So now you've given a quick overview. I think the next slide that would be very, very appropriate is to give a quick overview of the company. And when I say an overview, what I'm talking about maybe anywhere from five, maximum seven bullet items that very quickly give a history of the company. When you started, how you've grown, the number of products or services that you have, perhaps the number of customers, one or two key statistics that you're really proud about, and any other really unique things that differentiate you as a company. And then what I'd like to see on that same slide is a bar chart that shows the revenue growth from inception to current point in time. Now, if you're just starting your idea, you would project what you think your revenues are going to be for the next three years yeah. or four years. Why not just project that you're going to be incredibly successful? Like, How much do you have to tie that to reality? Like, Or what do you do to tie it to reality? Well, you need to tie it to reality because an intelligent investor is going to see that if you're saying, you know, the second year, you'll be generating $10 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. And when we get to the end of this deck, one of the things you're going to have is a pro forma. They'll want to tie those projections to your pro forma and hear your explanation. We'll talk about okay. that in a minute. Right. So you have to be really well-founded with your growth. You've got to be able to support that. So now we've given a quick overview of your mission statement. We've talked a little bit about your management team, just a brief history lesson about your company. Now we're going to talk about the problem that your company recognizes and how, and then you elaborate on that problem. I consult with a company that produces ointments and soaps mm -hmm. for babies and their problem, Tubby Todd. Babies get dirty. Babies get dirty. And the problem that they discovered was finding a natural and organic skincare products uh, for your family that really work. That's the problem that parents have gotcha. when they have infants. And then they give some statistics about that problem. 30% mm -hmm. of children suffer from skin disease, et cetera. So you state the problem and then you give more statistics. And then the next slide, you would state the solution. Okay. okay. The way they stated their solution is they want to make natural and organic products that are easy and fun to use. And they elaborate on that problem solution. Okay, then what you do, the next slide is you state how your company either has 
uniquely positioned themselves to solve that problem or is uniquely positioned to solve that problem in the future. Right. So like you want to be looking at the current marketplace and why you feel like you have a right to come in and claim part of that marketplace. That's right. This slide is going to say that, hey, I'm not a me too company. I'm a company that is going to use creative content. I'm a company that's going to use technology. I'm a company that has a secret formula that has magic technology, whatever it is. And it's going to uniquely position you in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. This is a very important slide. Then the next slide, now you're ready to give a product overview. The next slide is you talk about your products or your services. Okay. You could either use pictorial themes there if you've already created products. It could be a bullet item listing, but you want to be very, very specific about the products and the services. So you kind of push your chair back and you say, okay, now I'm starting to see. This is your mission statement. This is your team that you've established. Here's your track record. Here's a problem. Here's a solution. And okay, I get it now. Here's how your company is uniquely positioned. And here are the products, I want to say services too, that you're uniquely positioned to offer. This all of a sudden brings up a question in my mind about when are you giving away too much? I think in the spirit of content marketing slash inbound marketing, I really don't think you can ever give away too much unless there are some sort of secret formulas or proprietary formulas or technology. Now, understand that when you're dealing with a private equity group or venture capital group and most angel investors, you have non-disclosure letters signed before you ever give them this information before you send the deck ahead. So that's pretty common practice for all these kind of pitch meetings. You come in and say, you're not going to steal my idea. That's right. And they've signed these non-disclosure letters. The unfortunate reality about a non-disclosure letter is for most small business owners, it'd be very hard for you to defend that position if someone does take your idea. But I think that where you have you know some sort of patent that's pending, where you have some intellectual property that you're really concerned about, that's where you'd reach out to an intellectual property attorney and you work with an IP attorney and they're going to help you protect yourself. So now we've talked about the product overview. We're going to come in and we're going to start to build on that foundation of the product. And in the next couple of slides in the deck, really illustrate how we're winning and how we are differentiating ourselves from the competition. For example, I'll use Faulkner Media Group as the example. When we put together our pitch deck, we were really the only digital marketing company in the financial services industry that had a complete solution from social media to your website, to email marketing, et cetera. So we described that. So you think about how you are uniquely positioning yourself and then you elaborate on that and you elaborate on some of the marketing things that you're doing to uniquely position yourself. Would this be a place where you would talk about players in the market already? Like you'd talk about what differentiates you from them or do you kind of keep it more broad conceptual? Well, this slide that I'm talking about, you'd be very, very specific about you, how you differentiate. The next slide is a slide that I'm going to call why we are winning. And that why we are winning slide is going to talk about how you differentiate yourself from your competition. 
Now, your competition may be doing some things better than you, but you are going to be doing some things better than they are. And so what we did as we put this deck together is we had an XY axis graph where we talked about our products in the marketplace and then the other axis was content. So we position all of our competition and then you've got to be artful about this, but we were actually the outlier. When I say outlier, we came out ahead when we compared ourselves to all the competition because while some people had good technology, they didn't have content. Mm. While some people had good content, they didn't have great technology. So we were able to really illustrate how we were superior with technology and content from our other competitors. Did you show anybody who had maybe a little bit better technology than you, but like no content? And yes. Okay. So yeah. it was a combination of things that really qualified you to win in that area. That's right. Okay. And so there's no shame in showing where you're weak and there are some competition is going to certainly outshine you in some areas, but you want to be able to overall position yourself in the marketplace that you're playing in to be able to be kind of that lone star when you combine your two major strengths. The next thing that you want to look at that's going to be extremely important are the key metrics. Key metrics are going to be essential to help an investor group understand why they would want to fund your operation. And the key met metrics for what? Give me an example. I don't want to keep on using Let's my say own uh, the key metrics for a, let's do a store, like a corner market. Okay. Well, I don't know about a corner market, but a store, let's just say an online marketing store. You've got an idea where you want to go into competition with REI. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's say like a sporting goods store. Okay. A sporting online goods sporting store. Goods store. Yeah. So some of the key metrics are going to be ASP average sales price per customer. The key metrics are going to be, you know, the traffic that you have coming to your site. Other key metrics would be cost of acquisition of customer, would be your conversion rate, what it takes you to convert a prospect to a customer. So you have to develop typically three or four key metrics for your business or your industry that investors are going to want to wrap their heads around. That makes a lot of sense for digital companies. But like if you're looking at like a brick and mortar, I guess you just have to find other metrics to look at. I mean, because you and I are both in digital marketing and I do think in like cost per lead and click through and conversion rate and like that. Mm -hmm. But if you have like a restaurant or you have like something that's like in reality, do you have to come up with, you know, we're going to have a hundred different walk-ins a day and they're going to have like a meal that like at this normal price point and yeah, some of the metrics that I'd want to know about, I'd want to know ASP, average sales price, you know, what the average ticket was per table. I would want to know cost of goods sold, so to speak. I think in terms of manufacturing, but the cost of goods are certainly going to apply there. I'd want some key metrics on employee costs because in a restaurant, I mean, your food costs and your employee costs, right, are your two major costs. So I'd want to take a look at that. And I would imagine there are in each one of these businesses, you could go to a trade organization and those trade organizations are going to give you key metrics that are really germane to the business that you're running. So you're going to need to do some research. But again, if you want to raise money, if you're going to take other people's money, OPM, you need to be prepared. 
You can't just go and say, I've got a great idea and you're gonna make a lot of money off this. You've got to be prepared. And these are the types of questions that anybody that has enough money, aside from friends and family perhaps, are going to wanna ask. So kind of marching down the path, the next slide, and we're probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 16 slides into the deck. Once I list the key metrics, I would reestablish why we win in the marketplace. I would remind them why we're winning, and that would be one slide. The next slide, I would let them know some very key elements and strategies of our marketing, of Mm -hmm. how we are strategically positioning ourselves to win in the marketplace. Again, I'm going to fall back on this company that I consult with. One of the reasons they're winning so soundly in the marketplace is because of their established influencer marketing. They are pros at identifying key influencers and partnering with them. And that's why they've seen 100% growth over the last few years. Right. It's because of their influencer marketing. So you let people know that you're winning. And then the next slide is you let them know why you're winning and you highlight some of those areas. Okay. I'm just kind of thinking about other aspects of the marketing. You know, it's funny sometimes that I forget that the word marketing has to do with the actual marketplace. And I'm kind of thinking like, is this when you want to define like the total number of people that are in that market or what percentage of, what is that, TAM? Total addressable market. Total addressable market. You know, market. it's like you're peeking over my shoulder, oh, looking yeah. at my notes here. <laughs> I jumped <laughs> that, the gun on that. The, the, no, that's great. You're just one slide ahead of me. The next slide that I would have in that deck, so now you're telling them why we're winning. You say, but wait a minute. You know what? You ain't seen nothing yet. This is just the beginning because here's what we're going to do. And this is where you start to paint the big picture. Mm-hmm. This is what we're currently doing, but we have grand plans. And that's one of the reasons we're looking for additional investing. We have plans to bring on more people, to develop more products. We have plans to spend more money on marketing. Here's how we're going to spend that money. And so this is a slide where you'll have five to seven bullet items to illustrate how clearly you see the future and how you have this clear vision of where your product offering, where your services, where your marketing is going to go. Then you come to the next slide and you say, okay, I told you that's just the beginning. You may be asking yourself, okay, that may be just the beginning, but I really don't know enough about the restaurant industry. Is there room for another restaurant in this area? Mm -hmm. Is there room for another marketing agency? Is there room for another professional services? And that's where you come in and you give your statistics. You talk about the size of the opportunity. You talk about it in dollar amount. You talk about it in percentages. You talk about it demographically. Anything that's going to support this idea that there is tremendous growth opportunity is going to help solidify the fact that, hey, not only do you have a great idea, and not only are you achieving success right now, but you're just really scratching you know, the surface here. Yeah. How far out do you need to build your vision? Like how many years out do you think is uh, appropriate to kind of cover in a pitch deck? I think five years. Five years. You know, in reality, I want to see the next two to five years. That's what I want to see. And that's what I found as I've done this a few times now. Personally, we talk about a five-year horizon. 
Okay. So now you've addressed your existing market, but then the next slide, Kirk, are you ready for this? <laughs> yes. Will be, wait, there's more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what you want to say is not only is the current market we're in really great, but there are other key vertical markets the adjacent possibilities yeah, out there. the chance to expand out. There's and, a chance for us to go out of San Diego County and go up to Orange County, go up to LA County with this restaurant line. There's a chance for us to franchise. That's not necessarily vertical markets, but if, you know, in the financial services industry, we were right. looking to go into other verticals like chiropractors or fitness with our digital marketing platform. So, if there aren't any vertical markets for you to be looking at and talk about, I wouldn't include it in the deck. I mean, I wouldn't stretch too far on that one. Vertical markets could be a lot of different things though. Vertical, yes. vertical markets can be location. It could be product type. It could be customer type. It could be literally anything where you could break into a new area and have kind of a similar run as the first one, kind of as the That's idea. right. Yeah. If I were marketing primarily to baby boomers and I had a service. Generational. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely could be generational. And then from there, I would recap. I would show a growth roadmap. Okay. I would show phase one. Phase one is, you know, from startup typically to the second year. Phase two is going to be year two through year three. Phase three will be years three through five. And that growth roadmap to help solidify this picture that, yes, you've had an idea, you've tested it, or you're going to test it, you're convinced that it's going to work, or it is currently working, and you can show the financials. You then talk about what the rest of the year in 2019 is going to look like. And then you're talking about 2020 through 2023. And this is where we are just going to see this incredible growth. We've got plans in place for it. And you have bullet items that list those plans. The next slide is a fun slide and that's going to be your revenue projections. And you recap then your revenue projections going backward from the beginning to current to the future. And typically, again, you want to see about a five to seven year span. And there's no hard and fast rules, but these basic elements that I'm talking about and the flow have worked very, very well. Yeah. And people kind of expect it to fit into this general framework. That's right. How successful do you have to say you're going to be? I think that's a really good question. I think that when people invest with you, they, number one, want to feel that there is significant upside. It's going to be worth the risk. It's, it's going to be worth the road. And That's right. Everybody knows that investing in a startup or in a small business or helping fund a small business grow has risk. And so you want to be thoughtful about not overselling, but this is where you have to blow your horn pretty loud. You certainly want to uh, be confident. I would never suggest, by the way, going out and trying to raise money if you aren't confident. This shouldn't be a last ditch effort to save a company. Obviously, it's going to just depend on the type of investor, what return they're looking for. What is the X is it 10X? Is it 5X? Is it 2X? Is it 
Okay, that's a great question. I mean, I think for a private investor, friend and family, they may be very, very happy with a 10 or 20% return on their money, knowing that they're going to get their money back in a timely fashion and they're going to get a nice return. An angel investor is going to want to see a two or three X over a short period of time. Most angel investors want to get in and out within a 12 to 24 month period of time. Oh, wow. Now, some are different. Then you have your venture capitalists. They're going to want to see a 10x plus. Your private equity groups would love to see on an unleveraged basis, at least a three to four, and on a leverage basis where they actually go out, they see that a company is really performing. Many times they'll go out and borrow against the company, and then that exponentially increases their return. But I think for the people listening, you need to be convinced that you can, if you're going to friends and family, that you can return their money and you can give them something much, much better than a market. Savings account. Yeah, than a savings account or you know any kind of market return. And then with the other types of investors we've talked about, they're going to want something a lot more than a 10 or 20% return. They're going to want to get their investment back and they're going to want to get a multiple then on that investment yeah. because it is high risk. Would you ever use a pitch deck or like this strategy for anything other than money? Okay. I think one of the central reasons to put together a pitch deck and go out and talk to angel investors, friends and family, family offices, etc., is it helps you clarify your thinking about your business. Yeah. And it helps you refine your thought process about the next steps that you should take with your business. Yeah, I get some validation you for You get it. validation about the direction you're headed or you'll get criticism about the direction you're headed. I know when we went out and talked to private equity groups at Faulkner Media Group, we were questioning whether or not we should aggressively go after vertical markets. And I'm gonna say out of the 10 or 12 private equity groups that we talked to, the majority of them, the vast majority of them said, no, your market's big enough. Don't go out and look at other vertical markets. That was a big epiphany because I was a big champion of going out and looking at other vertical markets. So you will get clarity, even if you're not ready to get funding. I think that's really good advice. And I guess along with that, you have the opportunity to also like make connections with people who, even if they weren't ready to invest yet, might give you advice or mentorship along the way, or kind of uh, provide some bridge to a new relationship, or they might be willing to buy into the idea without actually buying into the idea. That's right. I had lunch, oh, a couple of weeks ago with a young guy that has got a business idea that I really liked. And he wasn't asking me for money. He really wasn't. He was just kind of painting the picture to me. I got really excited about what he's doing and told him that I'd be happy to kind of casually mentor him along the way. And I think that when you're talking to these organizations where you're talking to individuals and private investors, many of them are going to be very, very open to talking to you. And I've been very, very pleased over the years to find how willing and really how kind people are in formal organizations and non-formal settings to give uh, very, very constructive feedback. Yeah, that's great. That was a really great overview. I feel like I got a lot out of that. Well, I hope so. And we'll make a note. As I mentioned, I think we should make a note. And at some point, we'll talk about business valuation. Right. What absolutely. the heck is my company worth? <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
you're launching a thousand entrepreneurial ships with this. <laughs> I hope so. Awesome. Well, this has been a great episode. Thanks so much for that. And I guess we'll see everybody next time. Please remember to go to iTunes, you know, give us five stars, even if you don't think we deserve it, because we want those stars. <laughs> we'll live up to them eventually. And see you next time. Yeah. Thanks for listening. All right. All right.